LBC podcast, where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. My name is Joel Lapierre, high school director at LBC. And this is Chris Moore, the children's ministry director at LBC. Yeah. Today we got a pretty fun and possibly controversial topic to discuss, don't we, Chris? Oh, yeah. You could say that. And before we go into that, Chris, would you mind explaining why we've started a podcast? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's always been the desire of the leadership here at LBC to equip our church with good theology so that we can grow personally in our faith and use that to love God and others. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this a lot, especially in verses 11 and 12, where it says that Jesus gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's really our goal here with the LBC podcast. We want to explore theology with you all so that you, the family of God, will be built up in truth and wisdom for the purpose of ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, and I also think, just to add to that, I think this podcast will really be helpful for the average Joe who wants to go deeper but doesn't really know where to start. Um, I even think uh, this podcast will help our church go deeper, not just on Sundays but during the week as well. Yeah, for sure. We need to hear that all week long. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, we got to get on with our topic for today. Um, Recently, Pastor Eric referenced in his sermon the Bethel Church Movement, so today we want to dive a little deeper and answer the question, why we don't use Bethel music in our worship services. So to answer this question, we have brought on two of our very own, uh, John Harrell, the worship director. How's it going, Joel? Hey, it's going pretty well. Good to see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have Josh White, our pastoral coordinator. Hey, glad hey. to be here. Awesome. By the way, Josh, what is a pastoral coordinator? <laughs> uh, it kind of sounds like you coordinate pastors? Do you coordinate like the schedules of Eric and Andy and Roger? Like what's up with that? As much as I would love to do that, (laughs) I do not coordinate the, uh, contrary to popular belief, I do not coordinate the schedules of the pastors. Oh, all right. (laughs) He does have a lot of bosses though. Yeah, that's true. No, actually I, uh, I oversee three ministries here at LBC, uh, being one of them being junior high ministry and then a handful of adult ministries, things like ushers and greeters and prayer team, and then also audio visual lighting on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Wow, you sound like a busy guy. Yeah, just a little bit. Nice. Awesome. All right, well, let's ask this first question. Why don't we use Bethel music in our worship services? It's a great question. It's, it's a really controversial question, too, because Bethel music, I don't know if anybody's paying attention out there, is everywhere. And when we talk about Bethel music, we're also talking about Jesus Culture, uh, the Jesus Culture band, which um, really kind of preceded Bethel music and all of that. Um, it's, it's just rampant. It is everywhere. And, and honestly, before we dive in, rightfully so, um, I think it's, it's worth noting that one thing that Bethel Church does really well is they have become a champion for bringing the arts back to mm. the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I firmly believe um, that our God is a creative God. Yeah. And for us who, are, who possess his spirit and who are his people, we should be creative as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, you know, for centuries, the church championed the arts, and it was at the forefront of the arts. And um, that's become lost in recent generations. And Bethel Church has done an excellent job of bringing that back to the church and creating beautiful, beautiful music with really talented artists mm-hmm. and pushing boundaries musically and with technology in really profound ways. And they've done an excellent job of that. And the result of that is a lot of record sales, mm-hmm. a lot of radio airtime, um, 
you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of worship songs out there that you may not even realize are Bethel songs that are always consistently at the number one, like right at the top of the charts. And so Mm -hmm. Bethel music is everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. And most churches are using them, um, in their services. And so for us to come out now and make this statement to say, we definitively do not sing Jesus culture or Bethel music. Um, it's kind of a controversial thing and, and we'll, we'll dive into that. Um, but, but before we really answer that question, just to kind of dive into the history of Bethel church a little bit, I feel is important. Yeah. Um, so Bethel church, which is up in Redding, California was founded in 1952 and it was founded as an assemblies of God church. So they were originally a part of the Hmm. assemblies of God denomination. Um, in not much, we don't really have too much on them between 1952 but in 1996. But in 1996, they called Pastor Bill Johnson. Okay. And that's really where things took a big turn and a big shift in Bethel Church was when they called Bill Johnson as their pastor. Mm. Um, Bill Johnson has some, some pretty sketchy views, <laughs> which we're going <laughs> to dive into here in a minute. Uh, and uh, that has just permeated everything about Bethel Church. Um, in 2005, Bethel Church sought to withdraw from the Assemblies of God denomination in order yeah. that, that, according to them, in order that they could, uh, you know, truly fulfill their destiny as what God had destined, what they felt God was destining them to do, which mm-hmm. is to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some, some really foundational disagreements there between the Assemblies of God denomination, and rightfully so. Um, and Bethel Church at that at that time, and and so as a result, that's when they withdrew from the Assemblies of God denomination. Mm. Um, it's also, yeah, well, we'll get to some other stuff later. But another key event that happened in uh, Bethel's history is in 2012. Things really took off for Bethel Church when Benny Hinn, yes, Benny Hinn, mm-hmm. uh, gave his very public uh, endorsement of Bill Johnson and Bethel Church. Um, that's when things really began to take off and go really well for Bethel Church was with Benny Hinn's endorsement. Um, that's kind of the way that it works mm-hmm. among um, the Word of Faith movement, healing movement, uh, prosperity gospel movement. These guys all link together. And for one guy to give his endorsement to another guy is the same as saying, you're a part of the club now. Um, and so with Benny Hinn's endorsement, um, that alone should kind of, if you're paying attention and if your listeners are really listening, that alone should kind of raise the hairs on the back of your neck a little bit. Like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Benny Hinn f- fully endorses this guy um, and and wants to push his followers towards Bethel Church. And as as a result of that, Bethel Church grew exponentially, uh, you know, because that's, that's pretty much what that endorsement brings. Um, some of the beliefs that come out of Bethel Church, these are the things that are worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Because uh, a point that we're going to hammer, that Josh and I are going to hammer here, is that uh, theology matters. Mm-hmm. Good theology will lead to good worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad theology will lead to bad worship. And God takes those things seriously. And so some of the beliefs and practices of Bethel Church are not publicized. Mm-hmm. We don't see them a whole lot. They don't advertise it. If you go on their website, everything appears to be fairly kosher. Uh, until you begin to read between the lines and mm-hmm. until you begin to see their practices. Um, you know, the majority of Bethel Church's meetings are really similar to meetings that you would, same meetings that you would find with Benny Hinn, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, all these guys that we've seen in the past, these prosperity preachers, mm-hmm. word of faith, name it and claim it, healers, mm-hmm. um, 
really shysters in a lot of ways. These are the guys that are flying around in million dollar jets and that that whole thing. It's all the same crowd. This we see the same types of behavior of you know being slain in the spirit of um, laughing uncontrollably of you know all of these supposed movements of the spirit. These these supposed healings that are taking place, which mo- a lot of them have been completely debunked. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what you find similar to Bethel Church. Um, Bill Johnson, the, the pastor of Bethel Church, who claims to be an apostle, um, you know, he he has what's called his Hall of Generals. Um, and what he's referring to when he talks about his Hall of Generals is he's referring to former, uh, you know, name it and claim it type healers who have come in the past century. Mm. Um, the people that he points to that he quotes often. And when you when you walk through the list of the people that he holds as his authoritative Hall of Generals that he draws his ideas from uh, it's very troubling because most of these people have very, very troubling lives. Um, almost all of them, almost all of them have been uh, caught lying. Um, most of them is just rampant with divorce. Um, their lives do not reflect the life of a pastor or a leader in the church. Mm. Very troubling group of people that he draws his ideas from. Um, and it's all kind of rooted in this idea that Jesus came and died for our sins and as well as for our sicknesses. And so a lot Mm. of the things that you're going to hear and read in his writings and a lot of things that you hear in the worship and hear in the messages is that sin is directly, or that sickness rather is directly related to sin, you know? And so if, if you're sick, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. Uh, You have a hidden sin in your life. I mean, these are things that are really manipulative Mm -hmm. and really dangerous because it's, it's just not biblical. Um, one thing that is that is rampant throughout their teachings and their songs is this this kingdom now theology, and what that means is that they believe that um, ki- the kingdom now theology basically believes that um, our sole job as the church is to fix the earth so that Jesus can come. The mm-hmm. idea is to pull heaven down. You hear that a lot in their songs. Pull heaven down. In other words, we need to f- get rid of all sickness. We need to get rid of all hurt. We need to get rid of all of these things, and so that Jesus will come and his kingdom will come on earth. We need to make clean house and make the earth his kingdom mm-hmm. so that he'll come, which really is troublesome because it implies that somehow God has lost control. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't control things. He's lost control. Um, it also implies that God needs man to regain what he somehow lost, mm-hmm. which is, I don't think I have to preach too hard on why that's troublesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, I mean, this, these are just a few of the things. And then, you know, uh, Pastor Eric in his sermon uh, a few weeks back mentioned um, claims of glory clouds and gold dust and angel feathers falling during worship. Um, you know, this practice of grave soaking or grave sucking, or it's also called mantle grabbing, um, which is this idea that you can, you know, go to a former apostle or somebody who was anointed by the Lord and lay on their grave and literally soak up whatever spiritual anointing has been left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, they've denied that they've done these things, but yet, you know, in some of his writings, even we, we see that Bill Johnson does hold to this mm-hmm. and he does teach his students that this is a, an appropriate thing to do. Um, this is just a few of, I mean, we could go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, the point that, is important for listeners to understand is that uh, how a church, what a church believes about God, the spirit and its mission 
uh, will absolutely flow into its worship. And so for this movement to be writing worship songs to put into the minds, hearts, and mouths of God's people is uh, a very, very dangerous thing because theology will always lead to worship, Mm -hmm. always, one way or another, in either a proper way or an improper way, and that's really important for us to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Josh? Yeah, so kind of the principle that John's getting at, you know, as he mentioned, is that, you know, bad theology is going to lead to bad worship, essentially, you know. And so we see that in, in Bethel, not only in the songs that they're, that's coming out of Bethel, but, but in their practices, really. And so the more and more you look at their practices and their songs, you see the way that those things are connected, and so kind of to go off what John was saying, a couple reasons that we don't include their music in our services, kind of one thing that he was getting at, the first point would really be that we see a lot of things that are unbiblical, you know, in, in Bethel's practice and in their music. And unbiblical simply means, you know, it's against scripture. It goes against what we see in scripture. And so John kind of mentioned some of those things and like he explained, you know, grave sucking or grave soaking, you know, that's definitely concerning. You know, another one he mentioned was the glory cloud, which Bethel has kind of become, uh, famous for or known for, and they kind of claim that that's the glory of God. Whereas when we, we look at the scriptures and we see when people saw the glory of the Lord, <laughs> like they would either die right. or when they saw angels, even when they saw angels, not, not necessarily seeing the direct glory of the Lord, they would like fall on their faces, mm-hmm. you know, in worship and in not only in worship, but also in like fear and in terror mm-hmm. that they were going to die. Mm-hmm. And so, that's really inconsistent with what we see, you know, at Bethel, that there's this supposed glory cloud, you know, in, in their midst. And so that also extends to their songs too, in the sense that we see things within their songs that just don't necessarily line up with scripture. Like, for example, the way that they talk about the Holy Spirit, they use phrases kind of like asking that the Holy Spirit would fall afresh, you know, or asking for the Holy Spirit to come down from heaven, you know, kind of as John mentioned, or they ask for things like honey dripping from heaven and, you know, stuff like that. And so it's just kind of stuff that we see that doesn't line up with scripture, you know, and then the next point, as far as, uh, you know, why we don't use Bethel music, is not only that it's unbiblical, but also to a a large degree, it's just confusing. A lot of the Mm -hmm. things that they say in their songs, it's like, wait, what does that, like, what does that even mean? Like, what are we asking for when we're asking for the Holy Spirit to fall afresh? Like, what is that? We have to stop and think, what does that actually mean? Is that, is that Mm -hmm. consistent with scripture? And so part of it is just the reality that when we're choosing songs to sing in our worship services, we would rather sing things that are clear about who God is and about who his, you know, what his nature is like and what he's done, what he's accomplished for us rather than things that are confusing. They also use um, in their songs, as far as confusing goes, just a lot of things that, you know, either are vague or, you know, in metaphors or stuff like that, you know? And so we would rather just sing songs that are clear about who God is and his nature rather than things that are confusing. And then lastly, 
another reason why we don't use uh, Bethel music in our, in our worship services, I would say, is because a lot of what you see in Bethel is primarily about having this certain experience in their worship services or looking towards a certain feeling, you know, having a certain feeling or having a certain experience. Um, and really, when we look at that, it, it really becomes all about me in worship. You know, and ultimately that's selfish. That's not the, the, the purpose of worship, especially as we gather together corporately is, is not about me. It's not about the way that I feel. It's about proclaiming who God is and what he has done and singing his praises together as his people. And it's a beautiful thing. So it, when, when we make it about an experience, about a feeling, it really becomes the opposite of what worship is supposed to be, right? It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about an experience. It's primarily about God. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Um, can you guys give me an example? You guys are talking a little bit about the, the kind of worship music that they have. Can you guys give me an example of what that is and why, like why it's wrong and point that out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, you know, tried to, <laughs> I was laughing ahead of time because I, I tried to, uh, you know, sit down and, and, you know, go through some of the songs that I've heard before and was thinking, man, I'm going to have to really search to find some stuff. And, uh, it, it took all of five minutes. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's everywhere. Um, going directly. Yeah. There's, there's one song here I'd love to share. You know, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. on the radio. Oh, please, please John. Yeah. Let's make up a melody. <laughs> as we go. Um, you know, but one thing that Josh had mentioned about, you know, how we view the Holy spirit and how we treat the Holy spirit and how we, how we pray with our knowledge of the Trinity of, of the father, the son and the Holy spirit uh, really has a lot to do. And Josh had briefly mentioned conjuring. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, a lot of this in modern worship today, you know, Bethel is leading the charge in that for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that we can somehow conjure the Holy spirit or that it's our job in worship to, to bring the Holy spirit, which is totally bogus because we, you know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you possess the Holy spirit mm-hmm. at all times. Um, the Holy spirit empowers us. He leads us in all truth. He seeks to glorify Christ, not the, the one who has the gift. Yeah. That's, that's John 16, by the way. Bam. Uh, <laughs> you always count on Josh for that uh, scripture reference. <laughs> There's a uh, song by Bethel, just, just as an example, called Spirit Move. And I'll just read some of the lyrics for you guys, if that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so talking about, I mean, see if you can hear confusion. See if you can hear um, the attitude towards the Holy Spirit and, and what the role of the Holy Spirit is based on this song. But verse one simply says, I feel it in my bones. You're about to move. I feel it in the wind. You're about to ride in. You said that you would pour your spirit out. You said that you would fall on sons and daughters. So like the rain, come drench us in love. Let your glory rush in like a flood. The chorus goes, we are fixed on this one thing to know your goodness and see your glory. Sounds good. Mm. Uh, We're transformed by this one thing to know your presence and to see your beauty. Um, Verse two says, I can see it now your kingdom come. There's this Mm -hmm. kingdom now theology. I can hear it now, the sounds of heaven. You said that if we ask, we'll receive. You're, we are asking for the greater measure. So like the rain, come drench us in love. Let your power rush in like a flood. So come and blow on through. Spirit move, we're ready for you to come and blow on through. 
<laughs> come and do what only you can do. Um, when you apply that to music, it might sound really good. And there are elements, certainly when you hit that chorus where you're saying, yeah, you know, we're praying to see God's glory. We're praying to see God's goodness. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with saying that we're fixed on this one thing? We're transformed by his presence and his beauty. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Um, when you put this in context and you sing it over and over and over again, you have to understand that a very crucial aspect of worship is that worship is very instructional. Whether you know it or not, worship is very instructional. So when we apply things to music, it sticks in our brains. This is science. It sticks in our brains. Uh, This is how we learn the ABCs, right? Mm -hmm. We put it to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Same, yeah, telling you, it's the same tune. (laughs) We sing our (laughs) we sing our ABCs to the tune of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That's how we learned our ABCs. Hmm. Most of us, anyway. Um, Well. Chris is still working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Oilville. We listened to it. You know, um, you know, so when you put this in the mouths of God's people, you're going to develop a theology of the Holy Spirit and how we pray to him and how we speak to him mm. and what we expect of him. And what this is, this song is basically calling us to do is to ask for the very thing that we already possess as believers in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and where it goes really against Scripture is that in a lot of Bethel's practices their worship services, you know, are about like a miraculous display of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like it's really, Mm. their services are about like, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit and like seeing, you know, miraculous things. Whereas in John 16, going back to that passage, we, we really get a very clear glimpse of what the Holy Spirit is actually going to do. Mm-hmm. I'll read the last part of that verse. This is Jesus speaking. And so he says, he will glorify me being the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so we really see primarily in that passage, part of the Holy Spirit's role is that he's going to point us to Christ and that he's going to help us worship and glorify Christ. Mm -hmm. And so on that note, here's another song called Pieces. Uh, Verse one simply begins with this. And tell me me who the subject is. If the Holy Spirit's role, as Josh said, as he, well, as the word says, (laughs) as Josh read it, (laughs) if, uh, if the role is to glorify Christ, tell me how this fits in. Uh, Verse one of the song, Pieces, unreserved, unrestrained, your love is wild, your love is wild for me. It isn't shy, it's unashamed, your love is proud to be seen with me. Hmm. Subtly, you can look at that and say, well, we're, we're glorifying Christ because of his love. But if you really sing that over and over and over again, who's the hero in this story? Who is the one of most worth and value? Me. Mm-hmm. Your love is wild for me. You're proud to be seen with me. Uh, and you talk about confusion. You hit the bridge of this song, and it says, Your love's not fractured. It's not a troubled mind. It isn't anxious. It's not the restless kind. Your love's not passive. It's never disengaged. It's always present. It hangs on every word we say. Wow. That last line right there yeah. uh, makes me sick to my stomach a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly that we are to hang on every word he says. 
not mm-hmm. the other way around. Absolutely. Does God love us? Unashamedly yeah. so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. He has demonstrated <laughs> that how? Through some wild experience? No, he demonstrated that through the act of salvation. He demonstrated that as he sent his son mm-hmm. to die for us in our place as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. That's how we know we love him. So when we sing of God's love, do we sing about it in an experiential fashion or do we sing about it in light of the cross? Mm-hmm. There's no mention of the cross here at all. Yeah. There's no mention of sin here at all. There's no mention of who we are before a holy God. Only a celebration of an experience. Um, yeah. This is going to shape you. The more that you take it in, especially the more that you sing it, it will inevitably shape you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah. So listen to you guys. Lots of good information. But at this point, are, are we just being nitpicky? I mean, are we, are we <laughs> acting like Pharisees, uh, Pharisees? When, we're, when we're discussing this topic? What's your guys' take? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. A really good question. And uh, <laughs> yeah, really, I think to answer that question, you really have to understand kind of what the Pharisees were like in the scriptures. And I think that when you understand what the Pharisees were like and how they're described... Uh, in the majority kind of of the scriptures, then that kind of takes care of that question. Um, so primarily what we see about the Pharisees uh, is in a couple of passages, such as Matthew 23, 1 through 39, and then also Luke 18, too, is another passage. Matthew 23 is the seven woes against the Pharisees, and then Luke 18 is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And so in those uh, couple passages, and there, there's some other references as well throughout the New Testament, but those are kind of the main ones. But in those passages, primarily what we see is that the Pharisees were legalistic in the sense that they were trusting their own works in order to look righteous before God, essentially. And so to that extent, no, we're not like, Pharisees, because this whole discussion isn't about trusting in our own righteousness, you know, to look good before God. That's not what we're doing. Really, to the contrary, the scriptures clearly call us to have discernment. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a handful of scriptures that, that, that talk about that. Um, some, just to name a few, is uh, Philippians 1, uh, 9 through 10, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, and then 2 Timothy 4, 3 through, 3 through 5, and then Jude 1, through 4, Jude 1, 1 4, excuse me. Um, and so those passages primarily talk about having discernment within the context of, of false teachers. Um, and I'll just read one of those really quickly, but, uh, the second Timothy four, three through five is a great passage. Uh, and I think it kind of characterizes maybe where a little bit of where Bethel's at, but it says for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so really, within the context of this discussion, we're not being Pharisees. The scripture scriptures primarily call us to have discernment, mm-hmm. you know, and to be sober minded, especially in, you know, the words that we're putting in people's mouth right. to, uh, to sing praises to God. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's a great word. That's really really well said. Um, you know, we we can't escape what Jesus our Lord said <laughs> on any point. But uh, you know, <laughs> when we when we look at John chapter four, which is really the beginning point for our understanding of what worship means in this age. Um, you know, you have John chapter four with, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And, and in that, they get into that discussion. Jesus, Jesus steers the discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he steers the conversation towards worship. And, uh, you know, he declares right there in John four that, you know, uh, true worshipers, the time is coming where true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus links those things. And he goes so far as to say God is looking for such people mm-hmm. to worship him. Mm-hmm. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Um, to worship strictly in truth with no spirit, you have kind of a dead church. <laughs> yeah. Because we are spiritual, emotional people. Because these truths are passionate and amazing. Mm-hmm. The word of God is amazing. Uh, but to worship with just spirit and no truth, you're left with experiential faulty worship. And, and like we see in Bethel, like we see in even gateway church, Bethel's not the only one. Um, there's lots of other churches out there who are, you know, really grabbing a hold of this ministry and, Mm -hmm. you know, just looking for an experience, looking to bring heaven down, looking to bring the Holy spirit to conjure him up to create a movement of revival in order that Jesus will finally come back. Mm -hmm. Um, things we're just not commanded to do (laughs) in scripture. That's not what we've been commanded to do. We're to worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, in this same light in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which we typically look at that and say, oh, that's the tongues passage. It's fascinating to me that even in the middle, right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 14, um, starting, uh, starting in verse 15, Paul says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Mm. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we can't divorce this truth that, um, you know, spirit-led worship will always come from the Word of God. Yeah. If it's truly spirit-led, it will come and be informed by God's Word. That's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. It means that we do lift our spirits. Mm-hmm. Up. It means that we we come into his presence with the gathering of God's people, and in our spirit, we lift up our hearts to him in praise and adoration for who he is and what he's done. But how do we know who he is and what he's done? The only way we know who he is and what he's done is if he reveals himself to us. And how has he revealed himself to us? He's revealed himself to us through his word. Mm-hmm. And so worship that is not informed and adhered to the word of God is not spirit led worship. It's something else. Mm-hmm. You're worshiping something else. You're either worshiping an experience, you're worshiping yourself, <laughs> which is scary. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this isn't something you can stay neutral on. God killed people in the Bible for wrong worship. This isn't something that God just, and he's the same God today. This isn't something that he just is flippant about. And, um, you know, when it comes to worshiping in spirit and in truth, I think the church does need discernment, just like Josh said, a lot more discernment in this area of worship because God has spoken on this. Um, and he's shown us what that is to look like. And, um, you know, we, we expect nothing less of our pastors. We expect nothing less 
um, out of our sermons each Sunday, um, we should expect nothing less out of worship as well. That it should, we should be ensuring that it's biblically sound and that we are worshiping God for who he is and what he's done yeah. with our minds and our hearts. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so thinking about that, John, you just summarized for me that, you know, how can we worship a God that we don't know? Mm-hmm. And we get to know him through his word mm-hmm. and through the revelation of him and his word, then we, we respond and worship. Yeah. How can we not when we realize how awesome he is? So thanks for that. So I'm, I'm thinking through that too. So for our church family, everyday Joe, average Joe, um, how can this understanding of worship uh, apply to our everyday lives? How can we take that into not just Sunday, but, but every day? Yeah, that's a, that's an awesome question. And that's where we want to end up, you know, because we don't want to just have knowledge mm-hmm. about what the correct things are, but we want to put it into application. Right. And so, yeah, just kind of summarizing, going back to kind of that principle that we started with at the, at the beginning, that idea of, you know, in order to, to have proper worship, we have to have a proper understanding of God, right? And so a proper understanding of who God is going to lead to proper worship. And to the contrary, if we have a, an improper understanding of God, that's going to lead to improper worship, right? And so the question that I would have people ask themselves, you know, on a practical level is really what's informing what you believe about God? Because there's so many things in the world and our everyday lives that inform what we believe about God, whether that be the songs that we're listening to, the things that we see on TV, the things that we read um, in books, whether they be secular books or Christian books, you know, um, the conversations that we have with friends, what are the things that are informing what you believe about God? And are you testing them against the scriptures? Because the scriptures are true. They are perfect. They are exactly, there are an exact representation of it, of who God is and what he's done. Right. And so what's informing what you believe about God. And then on a practical level too, you know, just because we've primarily, uh, been talking about music, I would just ask like, what are you listening to throughout the week? Uh, and another way to maybe tie that more deeply is what songs do your kids know? Because kids remember songs extremely well and can recite lyrics. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And do you really want your kids r- remembering lyrics about God, about the Holy Spirit that aren't true? Mm-hmm. Right. Hopefully not, because the scriptures the scriptures call us to to raise up our kids in a way that reflects who God is and what He's done, and to have His words written on our walls and on our hearts, right. right? And so, what what songs are you listening to? What songs are your kids listening to? That's kind of what I would, uh, you know, maybe have your have you ask yourself in application. Awesome. Yeah, that's really that's really well said. Uh, you know, and. It, Along the same lines as what Josh said, it's it's important for us as adults, as I had mentioned earlier, to just recognize that whether, whether we're kids or whether we're adults, um, you know, music is a powerful tool that God's given to us because it, it does help us learn and it, and it locks things away. That's why mm-hmm. jingles are so powerful in commercials. Um, that's a powerful force, man. I mean, some of them may just annoy you, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because it's powerful. It sticks. And that, that really is uh, one of the reasons why God's given it to us and why he's commanded us to sing is in order that we would be reminded and learn of who he is and what he's done. It's all about, all about him. And so, you know, make sure that 
the songs that that you're singing to are focused, laser focused on who God is and what he has done. Those are really the two parameters for what makes a good worship song is if it's true and it speaks to the truth of who he is and what he's done. If it elicits a deeper trust in him and less of a trust in yourself or an experience, you're probably in good company. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, lot of great worship out there. Uh, we strive to bring that here to LBC for sure. But, you know, most people listening here, especially if you're at LBC or you're a member of LBC, or you're per, you may already be saying, hey, I already know all this. I've been steering clear of these types of movements for forever. I've been steering clear of Bethel. I, I have a discerning mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about the other people in your life. No doubt you may have family members, you may have friends who either, you know, would say that they believe what we're talking about, but they're just not being discerning in what they're listening to. It's okay. It is okay to be the person who steps in and just kind of lovingly points these things out. Um, It's okay to be that person. And there may be other people in your life, whether they're coworkers, friends, or family members who, who are like neck deep in these types of movements, these name it and claim it movements, prosperity gospel movements. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to those people, I would say, you know, a, a good passage right out of, First Thessalonians, right out of First Thessalonians chapter five, uh, where Paul says, "We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all." I mean, this is a really great command for us that we are to admonish one another, encourage one another, constantly point each other to the truth, because God's desire is that we would grow in a deeper knowledge of who He is and what He's done, not chasing after gifts and experiences. That's not at all what God has designed for us. And, you know, I would also say pray for these people who are deeply involved in these, in these movements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing that I, I failed to mention is the Bethel school of supernatural ministry. Yes. Bethel church has a school of supernatural ministry. And for 10 grand, you can become an apostle uh, mm-hmm. doing the miracles and doing the works. And there are thousands of young people who are part of that. Uh, what's fascinating is there was an interview done with a number of, people who came out of that really disillusioned kind of with spiritual PTSD Hmm. and uh, the linking factor in all of their stories was that they all had attended churches that they perceived to be spiritually dead, spiritually dead in worship, spiritually dead in their communities and in how they related to the community Mm -hmm. and how they were pursuing God. Their churches were perceived to be spiritually dead by them, and they were chasing after what they knew there had to be something more to God and his church. And it led them straight to this type of ministry. Hmm. And I think the onus is on us as a church to be asking that question as well. Yeah. Are we contributing to that? Are we spiritually dead in our worship? Are we tuning ourselves off to God and just going through the motions? Or are we a church that does biblically seek to live Christ-centered, gospel-filled, spirit-filled lives. Uh, Because I I do believe that is the antidote to these types of movements is when the true church, when the church who does uphold Christ as highest above all, that does uphold his word as the true and sole authority in matters of life, faith, and practice, when, when we can connect the spirit with the truth, and really live the way that God has called us to live. I do believe that is the antidote for those who are locked and trapped into these kinds of myths and ideologies that we see out of the Bethel movement and others. And you can help keep us accountable in that. Yes. Thank you. You know, if you, if you, 
see a lyric on a Sunday morning, you know, that either you're not sure if it's true or you don't know what it means, right. you know, come talk yeah. to us. Sometimes we even change lyrics to certain songs yeah. to, you know, to make them more yeah. uh, in line with scripture. We, we yeah. are committed here at LBC to uh, providing biblically true worship. We, we hold to uh, Colossians chapter three, that it is our job to help the word of Christ to dwell richly in the hearts of God's people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if, as Josh said, please, I've, I've had very enriching conversations by congregants coming up and asking, Hey, we saying this and what does that mean? Um, or we saying this and I don't know that that's true. And it's led to very good conversations. Sometimes the congregants, right. And we had to really go back and say, Hmm, what does that mean? And, and that's a, that's mutually beneficial for mm-hmm. everyone. It helps the church. It helps me. It helps, uh, the team, um, you know, that, that keep us accountable. As Josh said, do not be afraid. We would, as I said, we would keep whoever is teaching accountable. Worship is a teaching ministry. Mm -hmm. So hold us to that same standard. We are committed to providing biblically true and rich, uh, worship times together. Absolutely. I think too, that's a, it's a compliment when you have the congregation coming and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm being discerning. I'm doing exactly what you're asking me to do. And there's something I don't really get, you know, I've had that. That's the family I want to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. I've had that recently in um, teaching down in high school ministry. I had a, you know, a student come up to me and say, Hey, you don't, we haven't talked about hell a whole lot. And I was like, (laughs) well, I I did just talk about it, but that's a really, like, I love that you're discerning and you want us to talk about more of that and that, that truth behind it. And so it's, it's teaching down there. I know, I know. Right. (laughs) No, I teach about hell. All right. Uh, but it was, it was great to see that. It was, it was great to see someone discerning and saying, Hey, like, I, I want to see this truth highlighted mm-hmm. um, because it's important to when you deliver the gospel. Yeah, and so, really cool. um, but anyway, yeah, it's, I, I think that's a great compliment to have people reach out to you guys and reach out to our pastors for that. So, but yeah, thank you guys. Uh, before we go, I have one last question. Do you guys have any resources um, for our congregation? Do you have any resources for the average Joe who are listeners who are yeah. um, interested in going deeper and maybe want to like buy a book or research it on, on um, online or do you guys have anything for us? Yeah, no, I would, I will, um, I'll say a couple of things here. Number one, um, you are, if you're listening to this and you're, you're a part of LBC, and part of the LBC family, um, you are a part of a church that is that is hardcore committed to your spiritual growth. Um, we are offering constantly times to gather together around the Bible and around the Word in order that we would grow together in our knowledge of the Word. So I would say first and foremost, dive into the Word of God uh, and take full advantage of what this church offers you, whether that's a men's group, a women's group, a small group, um, a life group, uh, whether it's just pulling somebody aside and saying, hey, do you want to study the Bible with me? I mean, dive in to yeah. the Word of God. And there's no excuse for anybody uh, who says, I just can't know the Bible. That's not true. God's made it plain. Mm-hmm. Um, get with those who are willing to help you. They're everywhere here. Um, secondly, I, I have one book to recommend. There's many books on the topic, but probably the best book that I've been able to recommend is a book called True Worshippers. It's by Bob Coughlin, okay. who's over at Sovereign Grace Music. We sing a lot of their songs um, He has written some very foundational books on biblical worship. But if you want a quick, easy, even fun read, um, Bob Coughlin, his book, True Worshippers, I fully recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of great resources on uh, on this stuff. If you want something that's maybe more specifically about the Bethel Church movement, then probably one of the the best resources that's come out recently is called a 
uh, is called Defining Deception. Mm-hmm. And that's by Costi Hinn and a guy named Anthony Wood. Is that yep. his name? Yep. Um, yeah. And so Costi Hinn is actually the nephew of Benny Hinn. And so it's cool because it's the the way that the book's written, it's actually, it's written in a really loving way, which yeah. is great because mm-hmm. they have really personal experience. Um, and everything that they write in the book, they say that we've, we've had the, these conversations in person already, you know, according to the way that the scriptures have told us to do church discipline and whatnot. And, and, calling people out. And so, um, so yeah, that's a great resource. If you don't necessarily want to buy a book or read a book, you want to maybe read something a little bit shorter. There's a couple of great articles that you you can read. So there's one called, should your church sing Jesus culture in Bethel music? And that's, uh, at a website called for the gospel.org. Mm. And then there's also another article, called Nine Things You Should Know About the Bethel Church Movement, and that's on thegospelcoalition.org. So if you just want to read maybe something a little bit shorter, uh, something from a website, an article, then those are some shorter things that you can read. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it was fun. Awesome. Uh, Before we go, Chris, do we have any events coming up? Yeah, we do. So Good Friday and Easter services are coming up April 19th and the 21st, respectively. And then we have our annual church picnic on April 28th, which is at 4 p.m. at Pin Oak Park. That's on Sunday after church. We're going to have lots of food, fun games for the family. So come out and hang out with us. And I think that's it. Wonderful. You have been listening to the LBC Podcast, a podcast of Laura Glenn Bible Church in Bakersfield, California. Please hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on new podcasts. Thank you for listening in and God bless you. We'll see you next time.